Last week I spoke about Gehenna, or what's called purgatory. <coughs> you know. So it's interesting when you really think about that, you know. So Gehenna is very similar to Gan Eden. The difference is in Gan Eden, uh, you know, you're either in it, so you're in Gan Eden, or you're outside looking in what you could have had, which is Gehenna. <coughs> so it's not, as I mentioned, it's not so much that something external is being applied, you're not being burnt or something like that. You actually see what you could have got and you're not getting it, you see? And that is Gehenna. To most people, in fact, to everybody, that would be a Gehenna. <coughs> you know, I gave the example where, you, let's say, you bought, you know, uh, some, some stock that was selling at $5, you know, and you decided, ah, it hasn't moved in a year or two, I might as well get rid of it, and then all of a sudden it shoots up to $50, you know, and you realize you could have been a multimillionaire retired. And now you got to work every day and go to schlep to work, every, you know, that's a Gehenim. I'm sure everybody's gone through some experience. <laughs> it's called Monday morning quarterbacks. You know, Monday morning, is, I think the football games are played Sunday. And Monday morning you figure out, oh, what I could have done if I would have known. Well, welcome to Gehenim, as they say, <coughs> you know. Uh, but it's much worse because we're talking about the greatest of all reward, which is Ganeden. I mean, there's nothing that compares when you realize you could have been in there and you can't. You know, you're denied entry, as they say. <coughs> you know. So um, that's basically, in many ways, what Gehenim is and so on, you know. I mean, it, when it comes down to it, the Ramchal says, Ramosh Chaim Lutzato says, that. <coughs> There are all kinds of sins, various that a person can do. You know, there's thousands of different ways they can do it in situations and so on, you know? So, how does anybody judge the real nature of what you did? You know what I'm saying? There are so many variables and so many factors, you know? For instance, if somebody ate trefa, you know? Uh, there's all kinds of questions, you know. You know, was he hungry at the time? What was his intentions, his mindset, you know? Um, uh, where was he located? What time of the day? And, and so on. What did he eat? There's so many different factors <coughs> that determine the weight or the seriousness of any given sin. Then a guy can go through a whole day and commit thousands of sins. Who's going to weigh all that? You know, besides the fact that many of the variables cannot even be seen, let alone known, you know, because they take place in the mind, what he was doing before, you know, was he hungry at all? Maybe he wasn't hungry. But then you have to know what the guy did in the previous, during the day, if he ever ate or not. There are thousands and thousands of variables to consider on each sin, let alone on a thousand sins that a person can do during the day. Uh, so who, who, can only, who can really judge this? So the Ramchal says, only God knows the true nature 
of any deed, the weight, the severity, and so on. But it's not only that, it's also consequences. You know, when you do a deed, it's not just you doing the deed, all right? There are all kinds of results that occur as a result, you know, um, uh, and, and so on, you know. If somebody writes, uh, let's say, somebody writes a novel, you know, that's really filthy. And then people do this all the time, you know. Or somebody writes, you know, and, and a million people read it, right? And so on. Or, you know, like Amazon. Amazon displays enormous amount of material. A lot of it is, is X-rated. You know, you know, that's why even if you have a filter, all you do is turn into Amazon and you can see a lot of the X-rated stuff. Because they're selling it, you know? You know, millions of people watch this, you know, and so on. So the consequences of any given sin, not to you, what you did, but what it cost, what it occurred, what it did to others, who can judge that when you think about that? So you realize that there are infinite, almost infinite amount of variables in a, in a deed that a person does. You know, and these things can go on and on. You know, some guy can have read a book that you wrote or a magazine article, uh, you know, that was really an enormous amount of lush and horror, right? And then, of course, the guy says, calls up his friend, and you got to check out this article, right? And then he reads it, and then on and on and goes viral. Who can possibly know all the people that it affected? You see, no one. Only the Rabbanisham can know. He can know exactly what you did and ultimately what its influence is, you see, which is knowing far beyond the person who did the Avera. Even he doesn't know, you know. And the Barsham knows, and he knows exactly, and, and therefore he knows all the details of any particular deed, whether it be good or bad. It's not just bad. Some guy can do a good deed, you know what I'm saying? And as a result of that, it can have tremendous repercussions, you know. Uh, for instance, you know, a guy can uh, give tzedakah, you know, to some organization. And because that organization had some money, they were able to do good to a guy. And since he felt better that day, he was able to do good to another guy. You see, where does it stop? It doesn't. It goes on and on. <coughs> you should know. And also what's important to know is the Rebbe considers any micro detail as part of what you did. It's not like he's looking for the gross stuff. No. Any detail that's a micro detail that you wouldn't even think about is considered as part of the deed. You see. So the Rav knows that. Every detail and so on. And he judges it exactly and precisely. That's an important idea. And the truth is, there is no being that knows, really. There is no being, I don't care, malachim, it doesn't make a difference, that is capable of knowing with such unbelievable precision uh, the weight of any given mitzvah, any given deed. That's a very important idea. It's all in the hands of God. That's really what it is, you know. A person just has to do the right thing what he thinks is the right thing, the right way, and just, you know, let it just hang out there, as they say, you know. The Bershom will look at it <coughs> as only he can, you know. But what's interesting, is not only can he judge every deed, he can ju judge every deed, but he also judges, okay, 
what do I do with this deed? First of all, do I act on it? You know, maybe I won't. Maybe there's something which stops the Rabbanishim from doing anything about this. It's called Rachmanis. It doesn't do anything. Because that person deserves mercy. So God does nothing. It's just there and that's it. It doesn't go away. But it's not acted upon. You see. And that's called mercy. Compassion. And so on. Sometimes the Rabbanishim may, may judge it and do something about it. In a minimal way. You see. And not come down hard, heavy, with the full thrust of the law, as they say, you know, the full extent of the law. It's also, again, because even if he's not merciful completely, he can be merciful partially, you know. But who can figure out how much Rahmanus mercy, only God, exactly, see? Or if he decides that he wants to uh, punish you, he may not punish you here, you know, he may punish you years from now. He may punish you, not here, but he'll wait till Gehenna. You know, just because you did something, it doesn't mean you get punished here. It may be appropriate for the soul world. That's where you get punished. Or if you did something good, right? He may not reward you here. He may reward you in Oilam Hapa, right? A good deed. And you, that's it. You, have, you don't get rewarded in any way or a, you, and there's no compensation whatsoever for that deed, except for later on. Or he can decide, as I once said, I'll reward you now, right? And you'll sort of eat up the reward, and you don't get anything in Elam Habo. And therefore, you will become, you will have an inferior status in Elam Habo, because you didn't collect on the good deed. Because the Bershom decided that that good deed is not appropriate to reward you in Elam Habo, but it is appropriate to reward you here. And therefore, you collect, you know, you get it, and so on. And then it's lacking in Oilam Habo, thereby diminishing your status in Oilam Habo. You see? So the, the, the amount of variables is just beyond belief. And the Bosham comes up with the exact procedure of what to do. Yeah? Ignorance is no excuse? <coughs> no, it's called, uh, ignorance is called shoigeg. And you say, Every microsecond. If you're 22 and you're in Miami Beach, on the beach for six hours, and you never read Don't Follow Your Eyes, you never read it. He's going to take six hours and break it down to microseconds and say, you got to get a smack for this. I don't mean microseconds. He judges the amount of time that you're involved, yeah. He judges, A, if you're guilty, in the sense that you should have known. Did you know? You should have known. You know? Imagine a guy's taking pot. He's at 22 years old. He's smoking pot. You think the, the police guy's not going to arrest him if, if that's an offense? Of course he is. Then, go, then they'll say, and the guy said, well, what do you want? I'm only 22. You know, what do you want? And I, only, I even took the pot for a half hour. Big deal. You know? So the guy's going to say, you know what the, oh, the police guy's going to say? Tell it to the judge. Say, don't tell it to me. Go tell it to the judge. He's the judge, not me. You see what he does. Yeah. You know? <clears throat> and everything is judged appropriately. Look, if you didn't know, you didn't know, so you're okay. <clears throat> you know, if you really didn't know, but then remember, shoigeg is you didn't know, but you could have known. There's an element of negligence. That's why a shoigeg, right, is, is guilty, is, is a uh, sin. 
even though you didn't know. But God weighs if you should have known, you could have known. You see, he weighs that. And he knows, you know. Uh, let's say, you know, you want to do a sin, but you're not sure if it's a sin. But you could have called the rabbi and asked him, can I do this? But you didn't. You see, because he didn't want to be told it was forbidden. So like this, you figure, well, I can plead not guilty. I can plead shoigeg. You see, God knows this kind of business also, you know. You know, even a fool the guy. You, and you know where mo so many people get caught up on? You know, the inconsistencies in their life. Everybody is a hypocrite. Everybody. There's no such thing as a straight guy. Totally. I mean, maybe the word tzaddikim gemurim means total tzaddikim that was straight. But let's face it, you know, we are so contradictory what, you know, you know, in one thing, what are you going to say to God? Well, I, I didn't know. So God says, that's, that's interesting, you didn't know. It sure looks like over here you did know. Uh, you know what I'm saying? And he demonstrates. Remember, God's got your film of life. You know what I'm saying? And he's got the recorder, you know, and at any given time, you know, it's beautiful, you know, the football games, I think they have thing called replay, right? They can replay anything instantly. You know, the old days where you really weren't sure and the, and the, and the what do you call it, the referee had a guess, doesn't exist anymore. They just play the replay and see exactly what you did. You see, God has replay. He can play back what you did. And he say, that's interesting, you deny doing this. Well, this show looks like you on the video, right? What are you going to say? You see, you cannot argue really. You cannot fool, I should say, an omniscient being, a being that knows everything. You can't. I mean, the, the, what God knows is he knows where every electron is at any given instant of time where in the atomy it is. Why do you play around with a God like that, right? If that's what he knows, then what chance do you have? You know, as they say, your chance of lying and fooling that being is a snowball's chance in Gehenna to survive, right? What, what chance does a snowball have in Gehenna to survive? Same idea, see? And we all get caught in our inconsistencies. <clears throat> where we fool ourselves. And that's what God says. Hey, what do you mean you didn't, you held this way. I'll show you over here where you didn't hold this way. So make up your mind. So obviously you're guilty, you know. You, you can't get around that. This is the idea, you know. <clears throat> you be, I think in the end you're better off saying, if you're going to sin, right? Don't fool yourself. Because you can't fool God. So why are you fooling yourself? You see? So the best thing in a, in a certain way sense is, you know you're about to sin, right? So you look up and say, God, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do an Avera. I'm going to do something against your will. But, you know, I, I can't resist the Yitzhar. I'm really sorry. I'm sorry. I would rather not do it, but I can't resist the Sultan, the Yitzhar. You see? But I know I'm going to sin. You know, and I'm going to get pleasure out of this sin because I really cannot. Right now, I just don't have the energy to resist the Yitzhahara. I'm sorry. You know, that's tshuva. Believe it or not, God enjoys an honest guy 
much more than he enjoys a fraud or a faker, you know? And God says, okay, because when you say, I'm going to sin, you know, I wish I could, uh, could fight the Yetzirah, the evil inclination, and not sin. That's called charata. That's called charata. Really, on a certain level, that's regret. And regret, even though you did the sin, already is in your favor for a, 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 what's called a mitigation of, of punishment. Because God, God you, know, you realize, God is not an all or nothing being. You know, he will take into account any type of, you know, of hesitation, regret. He'll take that into account, even though you go and do the sin. Because in the end, that's what God wants, you know. Look, the Bashim is not a fool, Chas Shalom. He knows we all sin. Not only we sin, we do it all the time, you know. And we do it with gusto, and so on. He knows that, you know. But what he wants is some type of regret. Something, you know, where you don't fool yourself. <clears throat> and therefore, that opens the door for mercy. You see? You have to remember, the Bashim is a very kind being. He doesn't want to come down with a hammer blow, you know. So he's looking for anything that he that that, that he could be a melitzioisha. means a, a good advocate for you. Very important to, to to know that we're not looking here. Many religions look at God as a vengeful, you know, merciless being. Unfortunately, you know, I remember that Christianity has that view, and that's why he had to send his son. To die on the cross, but God was vengeful and not merciful, you know, hard as a rock to please. Yeah, this, this is what they think. So therefore, he had to send his son in order to make up for the guy, you know, like he was better than his old man, as they say, you know. It's absolute nonsense. Uh, you cannot understand the infinite Rachmanus of the Rabbanisham. You can't. And because it is infinite. Therefore, give him something to hang his coat on, as they say. You know what I'm saying? Do something. Like I say, even if you're about to do the chit, say it. I'm going to sin. I wish I didn't sin. I wish I had the fortitude not to. And that itself is some type of argument for some type of mercy. You see? It's an important idea to, to know. I think most people sin out of ignorance. <coughs> the what? They, I, I think they sin out of ignorance. There's 613 mitzvahs. Do you know anybody that knows all 613 that could tell you I know all of them? Yeah. Nope. What? Yeah, I know people who know all 613. You shocked? <laughs> there are people that know 613, but so what? But, okay, but each one... They're complicated. You take one mitzvah, it could get very... You're right. Involved. And God takes that into account. You're right. He takes that into account. You know? You take Hilchah's brachas. You know how complicated brachas is? Which one do I eat first? Second. Third. Fourth. Right? And then you have many dishes are now combo dishes. They're combinations. Sushi. So, wait. Sushi, yeah. Do I make the bracha on the rice? Do I make it on the, the fish? inside or the, or the avocado like what do I do I don't know it's complicated and many times even if you know the halacha but you don't know the halacha on this dish you see God knows that they're complicated the laws of Shabbos 
are very complicated. You know, is this a malacha? Is it not a malacha? You know, am I allowed to do it in these circumstances, etc. You know what I'm saying? And, and what and what, a guy can't learn it all. You, you know what I'm saying? You can't know everything instantly. It can take you years to master the laws of Shabbos. That's how complicated it is. So what happens while he's learning the laws of Shabbos? Right? He's violating Shabbos, which he's going to do. Yeah, but what is he supposed to do? Learning proceeds at a certain pace, but sins proceed at another pace. <laughs> you see, you know what I'm saying? So obviously they're not going to match up, you know, but the Rebbe takes that into account. Listen, you know. In, in the end, that like argument, it says in the... This argument also is ignoring the fact that a person has an obligation to make himself informed. He can't walk around a whole, a whole life and say, I'm ignorant, I'm ignorant. Yeah, well, exactly. When he came, he wanted to be an accountant. He went and got himself an education and became a big accountant. Yeah. Ah, uh, he was ignorant. He didn't know anything about accounting. <laughs> what he wanted to do, he did. Yeah. Just yeah, that's taken into account. Yeah. Did he have the will and did he have the time, you know what I'm saying, to do it? You know, look, in the end, you can't play around with the Rabbanishnam. You can't fool them. It's that simple, you know. And, and if you're in the right, then he, he's merciful. You know, he's not looking out to get you. As he says, I don't want the death of the Russia. You know, I want it to return. Return means not only a total tshuva, it means any type of, uh, 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 you know, reason for acquittal or mercy, regret, whatever, and so on, you know. And that's really what it's about. And you have to rely on that. Look, where do we know this? It says, Nahazinu, Tzadik V'yosho, Ein Ovel, where it says, the Rabbani Shem is a Tzadik, he's righteous, he's, you will never get anything you didn't deserve. That's impossible, right? And not only that, he's Yosha, he's fair, and a novel, there's no avlo, you see? Because a guy can say, wait a minute, you know, some, some woman can say, well, my husband, she can say, well, my husband had a heart attack. You know what I'm saying? And that's why I went out and, and I sinned, you know? God took that into account. That's the circumstances that led you to do a sin. That's all part of the cheshman, you see? And he's the one setting up those circumstances. Yes. He's putting you in a situation yeah. to see what you're going to do. Mm. Correct. <clears throat> yes. <clears throat> we have no idea how infinite the cheshbonus, the reckonings, the calculations are. <clears throat> many times, a guy, listen to this, many times a guy, right? Uh, let's say he's, he's wealthy, right? And all of a sudden he did something that deserves for him to be poor. Right? And he's got money in the market, the stock market, right? So the Rabbanisham can fool him. He'll invest in a stock, right? And bam, oh, there goes his money, right? But he won't do it. Why? Because the kid that the guy has deserves to be wealthy. You see? So he won't do it to the father. We're going to talk about that, you know, later on. Ramchal goes that, that. In other words, <clears throat> before the Rabbanisham can punish somebody, he's got to check it out that it meets... The, the, the requirements of justice to everybody that can be affected. You imagine that? He can't even do it to you. Whereas an American court, you're guilty, you're out of here. You know, you go, to, you go to prison, they don't care your kids are going to be without a father, right? For years, 
I mean, we have all the, the classic cases of, you know, unfortunately, now thank God, Rubashkin. He was in jail for what, eight, nine years? His family suffered terribly, you know? That, because that's American justice. What happened to him is beyond, it's just, it, it is such a, uh, a travesty of justice. It's beyond belief, you know? But look, whoever did this to him is gonna rue the day, pay for what they did. They have no idea what's in store for them. But whatever, you know? But uh, Dubashim says, no, I can't do it to him because one of his kids doesn't deserve to have an absentee father for six years. And he won't do it. I gonna tell me something, what is God gonna do? Believe me, he's got his options. He knows exactly what he could do in lieu of this. But it's just so interesting to see how exacting is the justice. That's, like I say, God can stop the whole business because somebody down the line doesn't deserve to have this absentee father or even to have this pain. You know, let's say the guy's mother, she's a tzaddikist and her son committed a crime. There's so many scenarios, right? And if her son goes to jail, right, then the mother will feel terrible. Well, guess what? She's judged that she doesn't deserve to have this pain. You see? And no one, so Debosham doesn't. So in some way, you know, that person will be punished, whatever, without giving pain. In other words, there are so many things that can stop the judgment because it has to be justice to every single person concerned. I always marvel at this, which is one of the greatest, uh, what do you call it, uh, uh, judgments of wall. 747. How many people does it seat? 550? All right, right. Everybody on that plane was Chayev Misa. You see? Or else it couldn't have gone down. If there was one guy in that plane that did not deserve to die, the plane doesn't go down. But only one guy, right? Out of 550 or whatever, right? Uh, but that's incredible. Why? Imagine a plane goes down. I mean, we hear that, unfortunately, uh, you know, uh, many times and so, right? Imagine, the incredible thing is, how did the Rabbonisham get everybody who was high of Misa, right, to go on that plane, leaving at that time to that particular destination? You have any idea how it is to arrange 550 people right? And each one has a different reason why he's on the plane. You know, he's going to see his mother-in-law, he's going to see his, uh, his ex-wife, his ex-kids. Everybody's got a different reason. And the how did the Bosham arrange that they're all on that plane? It, it, it's incredible. We can it boggles the mind how the Bosham can arrange it. Yet we know that if there's somebody on that plane that does not deserve to die, guess what? He misses the plane. <laughs> and it's happened. You know how many times you hear that story? You know, all of a sudden the taxi came late or the taxi was stuck in traffic and the guy missed the plane, right? And all of a sudden he finds out that the plane went down and with all, everybody was lost. And it's like, wow, you know? It's not an accident. You know, obviously what the Bonisham said is, listen, this plane's gotta go down. And, but I can't bring it down because you don't deserve to be on that plane, right? So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to stop you from getting on a plane. And he does. Could you imagine? And this is only one plane with 550 people. 
And how many planes take off every day? 10,000? 20,000? Thousands every day take off. You know? How does the Basham do it? Astounding. you got to be superhuman. <laughs> no, no, no. You don't say even a superhuman can't do this. You, you're looking at an infinite mind. You know how many details that God's got to have in his mind while he's pulling this off? Forget about it, you know. Like, for instance, now they have the, the California fires, right? It's the worst fires in history. You think about it, right? <clears throat> yeah, but wait a minute. If there was somebody in Northern California that didn't deserve his house to be burnt out, right? Either it means the fires won't start or the fires will go around his house. Well, they had the yeshiva. Yeshiva of Greater Los Angeles. Uh, yeah, I heard something like that. What happened? They had a map in the paper where the yeshiva was in a in certain town and the fire had a wall basically like this. Through the town? Yeah, but all of a sudden the fire went like that. Around the yeshiva. Yeah, it went around the yeshiva. One garbage can caught an envelope and burned. But otherwise there's like a, a, a slice of pie <coughs> cut out from the path. Astounding. In the paper, you say this, this shop is uh, yeah. the story that the taxi that it was going to had two flat tires. You fixed it, it went more, and another flat tire. The plane went down. The plane went down. How many times? Two, two flat tires. There's not even odds for that. Even a bookie won't give you odds for that, right? Who? Going. You going? Yeah. Asked the by Yitzchel Muhammad where they send the chassan back. So they asked, what's the difference? Why does the chassan have to go back? If it's Bashert that he should live, so he'll live on the front line also. Right? And if it's Bashir, he should die. So they're going in so because there's mazel or proti, mazel or cloth. He could be the, 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 the wrong person at the right <coughs> time and fall into the mazel or cloth. If the is supposed to have a defeat in battle and he's there, he could become a statistic in that defeat. Yeah, because there's a kitrug. Because if you're in a place of sakana, even though you're not supposed to be bored, you're not supposed to be brought up for judgment, but the mere fact that you're in that place can't that happen on a plane also? Um, not everybody is. It could, yeah. You can't figure it out. Yeah, we can figure it out. I mean, it's, it's just like, uh, like I said, you know, it, it's just incredible. I remember there's a picture. Uh, there's a there's a um, uh, a, a moshav in Eretz Yisrael uh, called Kaimemius. Kaimemius, you know. It's, it's Rav Mendelssohn, you know, and they 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 have observed, they observe Shemitah for years, you know. So there was once, and there's a picture of this, an aerial picture, you know, and there was once a locust swarm. You know, locusts, trillions of locusts settle on down, and then they lift up, and there's actually no vegetation whatsoever. It's it's astounding to watch, you know. It's astounding to watch, right? So there was once a locust swarm. It's very interesting what locusts can do, you know. They actually change physiologically and become... A locust is a grasshopper, but they change physically. And the wind carries them over the Mediterranean. It's astounding what they have, these swarms, you know. But they went over Eretz Israel, you know, and they settled down, right? And it was astounding. They, went, they took an aerial picture where the Moshav of, of Konimias, you know, they took a picture... It was completely saturated with locusts, except the entire Moshav was clear of locusts. Clear. 
There wasn't one locust in the whole place. Because they say the Mitzvah Shemitah protected them, you know? Again, they don't deserve to have the locusts. What do you mean? Why did the locusts settle on their property? I mean, the locusts don't know anything about Shemitah. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? When was the last time a locust went to yeshiva? You know what I'm saying? So how did they know? But those that already looking at hashgocha in the floor, unbelievable hashgocha, you see. But it happens. The reason why it happens because justice is done. True justice. That's why. And if somebody doesn't deserve, it just doesn't happen. And it could protect an entire plane because one guy doesn't deserve to die that way. It's astounding how meticulous and how exacting justice is done with the Rabbanistan, you know. So th- this is, these, these, it's, uh, uh, these are very important because they, they just show the, how much the, um, the in- almost infinite complexity of justice because you're looking at many beings, societies, countries, you know, they have millions of people. So how do you avoid doing to A, uh, you know, when it's really B, and so on and so forth. It's astounding. And we, we see it happening, you know. But anyway, it's part of the hashgokha of mishpat, or justice, and so on, you know. <clears throat> now, if a person does sin, you know, he cannot get oilim habo. Once you sin, you cannot get oilim habo unless... You erase that sin. It must be erased. There's no such thing as a guy in Oilam Haba that has sins. Why? You see. Because you have to understand the nature of a sin. I want to explain it a little. The nature of an Avera, right? When a person does an Avera, what happens? So there's a concept called a klipa. It's really part of the satanic group, you know, and what a klipa does, it's tumor. And it, that, that blocks out the, the uh, ore of the Rabbanu Shalom. It blocks out. It's a barrier. Uh, when a person sins, fundamentally, he creates a barrier that does not allow the light or the energy or the presence of God into his neshama. It's a barrier, you see. Um, so the question is, and, and not only that, but your body becomes much more physical, becomes much more gross, because the light of the of the emotion, what's called the ha'ora, is denied, and therefore the the uh, the yitzhahora becomes much stronger within you. It's one of the consequences of sins. So the question is, wait a minute, how can you go to ilam haba if there's a barrier that surrounds your soul? It's the whole point is to be free of the barriers and enjoy the presence of God. You see? The awe, the light of God. Uh, therefore, you cannot get oilam habo as long as you have a sin. That's the rule. It's never violated. You see? Therefore, this creates the incredible necessity to remove the barrier. And there's only two ways to do it. Either you do tshuva, real tshuva, and the barrier is then removed. Or, Yisurin. The Rabbi created Yisurin to remove the barriers. You see. And I mentioned how it works. Yisurin does two things. It counteracts the pleasure you had from the sin, right? 
So it's measure for measure. You had pleasure doing the sin. So the suffering is an exact antidote to the pleasure that you had doing the sin. You know, so it's sort of like you've paid the price. You know what I'm saying? So therefore, you soon on that level will expiate the sin. Or what it does also is Yisurin is also a way that you realize that you are nobody. Because if you are somebody, why don't you just remove the suffering? So a Yisurin really is a lesson to you that you're really nobody. Because what's happening to you is something that nobody would want, right? Unless the guy's a masochist, then God's got problems in that. You know, on the contrary, the guy's going to say, well, why don't you just bring it on? I'm going to have great kicks out of this, you know? But I don't even think God is going to have problems at that point either, you know? But, uh, so you soon is a way where a guy realizes that he's a nobody, you see? So on both counts, he realizes that he's nobody, and that's half the battle won to realize that God is everything. And the second thing, it is an antidote to the pleasure that you had for the sin, and you've paid the price for the pleasure that you had for the sin. Uh, and that's the Xera. God built that into creation. You see, if he didn't, how would you remove the, the barrier that the sin created between you? It's called the machitza. How would you remove the barrier, the partition, that separates you from the light of God? And Oile Mahabha is all about the light of God, right? You can't. Therefore, it doesn't make a difference who you are. You could be the greatest tzaddik of all. But if you got one sin that you got, you must remove it. Or you cannot get Oilam Habba. One sin will remove you from Oilam Habba. If it's not removed. You see. Now the punishment, again, could be in this world. In many, many forms. Or it could be in the Ghanim. One or the other. You know, and God judges where you can tolerate it best. And so on, you know. People, the, the general rule is that to suffer in this world is better than to suffer in Gehenna. You know, it's interesting that, uh, you know, that, that suffering in this world is a better alternative than suffering in Gehenna. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, and obviously people come back, uh, you know, all kinds of situations, you know, uh, to suffer in this world. And some people come back only to suffer and then they die. The classic case, of course, is children. You know, you walk into a children's hospital, it's terrible to watch. Because you look at them, not only it's terrible to watch kids suffering. You know, it's terrible, especially for your parent. It's a Gehenna for the parent. <clears throat> but uh, it's terrible for the kid, and so on, you know. So why are they suffering? Yeah, get kids at five years old. You know what I'm saying? And the answer is because that child could be here basically just to atone and then move on. You know, those are kids that can suffer for, you know, uh, depends how much. There are kids that dies in the uterus of the mother. Then there are kids that are born and they die within 30 days. There's all kinds of cheshbonus. But the reason for that is because their basic mission in life is to atone for whatever sins they have, right? Removes the barriers and then they go straight to Gan Eden. That's their mission, you know. And that, this, this concept really is the explanation of why children suffer, you know, and so on, you know. And obviously each child is judged based on its Gilgulim, on what it did in previous lives. And it's an exact cheshman. Uh, there are many, many stories, you know, and so on, about uh, situations, uh, you know, 
where people people had to come back basically to atone for what they did, you know, and then they just go to Gan Eden and thank God it's over for them, you know, <coughs> and so on. So this is the idea, the, the rule, as I said, you cannot go to Oilam Habo even if you have one sin. Now, to you, that may be insignificant. Come on, I got one sin. You're not going to let me in? You know, come on. You know, and the answer is no. You don't get in. Even if you have hundreds of millions of mitzvahs, you got one sin, you're out. So, of course, at that point in time, you're begging, you know, to go to Gehenna just to get rid of this one thing, you know. And, and God obviously provides that, you know, and so on, you know. Uh, so that's very important. But thank God... Yisurin is, is, is an incredible gift. Even if there's no tshuva? Well, if, assuming there's no tshuva. But there are many people, they don't do tshuva, especially if they're coming back because of a previous incarnation. They don't even know what to tshuva on, you know? Uh, but let, let me give you one, one interesting thought, okay? There is a mitzvah that can atone for this life and previous lives. Even if you don't know what it is. You know what it is? It's very interesting. <clears throat> you know what Kaddish is, right? Say Kaddish. If you say, let me give you a very good tip. <clears throat> you know, it's, it's all important stuff, how to navigate this world, right? But this is a very important tip. If you say, Omen Yehei Rabba Mavorah, Right? May God's name be blessed for eternity. That's basically what it means, right? And you say it, what's called Bekol Koychoy. I think it's one who says the Rabshub and Navy, right? It says, they will forgive you even if you sin for 70 years. What's Bekol Koychoy? means all your might. With all your energy, power, intent, you know. <coughs> Now, it's a question of what does Bekal Koychoy mean with all your uh, power? Does it mean you're going to scream at the top of your lungs? Is that what it means? You know? There are people who say it means you, that's why there are people in shul that scream. I think it's a mistake for several reasons. First of all, you disturb everybody else trying to think about what the words mean. And I think, therefore, you should not do it. You know, it's one thing if, you know, you're, it, won't, it won't affect somebody else's mind, his kavana, his intent. But you scream at the people who scream at the top of their lungs, you know, I, I consider this a terrible deed. Because they prevent others really from thinking about the meaning of the words, you know. Uh, but what Bikol Koychoyim certainly means is to, in, to know the meaning of the words and intend it. You know, then it's even worth saying, you know, when you say, Omen Yehishmi Rabbah, say it in English, or say it in Hebrew, and then say it in English, so you know what it means. Isn't that Omen Aramaic? Who? I was told some of those lines in Kaddish are Aramaic. It's Aramaic, yeah. That line's Aramaic? Yeah, that's Aramaic. Shmei Rabbah is Aramaic. Sure. Now, <clears throat> the Maharal, which is very interesting, but it says, even for 70 years. You see? Can you imagine what this is? It's astounding. It's an incredible protection. Even if you've sinned for 70 years, right? This is a shield. 
that will protect you. Now, there's a morale that says, why does it say, even if you've sinned for 70 years? You know what I'm saying? So he says an incredible concept. Because the average lifespan of a person, is, they're called 70 years, right? So in other words, even if you've sinned, you know, for 70 years, it will protect you. But what he says, it will protect you not only for 70 years, for the whole lifespan, but it will protect you for all lifespans before. That's how powerful that is. So you can imagine a guy's got many lifespans of sinning, and he says, Omen Yeheshmi Rabba, with tremendous intent, focus, and mind. That is an incredible way to protect yourself against harm, suffering, right? Uh, even if you deserve it. You know? Those last three words, they're repeated three times. Liolam ulumeo mayo? And it doesn't have the problem. Okay, I'm not going into the grammar or the composition of that. I'm just going into the fact that this is an incredible way of helping yourself guard against punishment. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean you never get punished and so on? Because the mitzvah of declaring God's name, great name should be blessed for all eternity, is so great that the merit of that will erase sins. You see, it's really, in a certain sense, it's tshuva, it's repentance, you know. But this is a, one of the ways, you know, it's good to know uh, that if you do that, it will protect you in, uh, an enormous amount of times. Anyway, uh, so, um, in any case, so therefore Yisurin does that. It, uh, it, it erases the sin, and therefore once your sins are erased, then there's no barriers, and then of course the light of Oilam ha of of Ganeden, Oilam Haba, obviously you can now enjoy it and so on, you know. Now, what's important is there's two ideas. <coughs> One is you <coughs> you must remove the barriers, or else you cannot get into Oilam Haba, you know, because Oilam Haba is a perfectly a perfect place where you have a perfect experience, you see. However, what's also important is that no two people will have the same type of ulum habo. It's what's called precision tailoring. You get exactly what you earned. Exactly. Not more and not less. This is called din, judgment or justice, you see. Um, and, and that's basically what you get. So that means that even if you have no barriers, it doesn't mean you're going to get the same attachment and, 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 and uh, intimacy with God as everybody else. Not at all. You will get exactly what you've done, what you caused, you see? So therefore, in Oilam Habo, it's the, the light is unlimited. The, the light is, uh, is, there's no barrier for the light. But it doesn't mean that the light, therefore, is unlimited. No, it is limited. It's limited to the amount of mitzvahs that you've done. So there's two concepts here. One is what will limit the amount of ha'ora, of divine light, is the barrier. And even if you remove that, and there's no, there's no barrier, but the light itself can be limited based on your deeds, based on your acts. 
That's an important, very important idea. That Olam Haba, no two people experience the exact same Olam Haba. Because no two people have the exact experiences and the exact amount of deeds and so on. You see. So clearly, Olam Haba is a place that will have a community of people, right, at many different various levels. You see? There will be people with enormous amount of light and there will be people with much less light. There is a minimum. And God knows exactly the minimum. In other words, if your deeds bring you up, let's, let's use wattage as, a, you know, watts of brightness, you know, uh, and, and so on. Uh, you know, so God knows that you need at least 100 watts to get into Ilam Haba. That's how much light you need. If you have deeds that, that do not add up to 100, but they add up to, let's say, 70, no Ilam Haba. Because for whatever reason, there is a minimum amount that you will get in the future world. Less than that, there's no future world. You see, now that's generally what's called the majority. Uh, but we don't know what a majority is because the majority doesn't mean number. It means number or quality and quantity. So we don't really know what that means. But it has to be a majority, you see. And that majority will give you more than 100 watts. You see, less than that, less than the majority, however God counts it, will not give you the wattage, you see. And if it goes too low, then for some, whatever reason, it is insufficient to give you a future world that is eternal. Insufficient. So you have to remember that. That even if you remove the barrier to Ilam Habo, that means there's no barrier. But what's the wattage? How much light is God giving you? How much energy, how much divine presence? And that varies for each individual. So, like I said, there will be people in Ilam Haba that are at the top of their game, so to speak. They are getting stuff that we cannot even imagine. But I want to tell you something. Don't think that, well, if I'm only getting 200 watts and these, another guy's getting 800 watts, hey, hey. But you should know it's fair because you don't deserve more than that. That's all you did. You know what I'm saying? But I want to tell you something. And you have to understand this. What's 200 watts or 105 watts, right? Uh, if you took, listen carefully, if you took all the pleasure that you had in your life, yes, in your life, right? Not bad, I mean, whatever it is, right? You know, and you put it into a pill, and you took that pill, yes, in one shot, what a dose, right? It would be unbelievable. I hope so, right? For people, right? What happens if you took your, all the pleasures of your life, and you combine it with all the pleasures of everybody who lives in your generation. And you put that into a pill. That would, that, that would be right. What a fix. That would be absolutely incredible. Right? And you took it in one shot. I mean, you, you'd have a high, like, uh, you know, from here to uh, the end of the universe, you know. And what happens if you had a pill that took all your pleasures, all your generation's pleasures, and every pleasure of every human being that ever lived. And you put that into a pill. And you took it. Then it would be ecstasy beyond belief. 
All of that, that whole pill doesn't equal one second of Ilam Haba. Don't believe what Ilam Haba is? It's incredible. We don't know. And that's the daily stuff. It was the guy who's got 105 watts, he just made it over the 100 barrier. That's what he's getting. You see? We cannot understand the pleasure that is waiting for us in Ilam Haba. Because it's greater than the total amount of pleasure experienced by every human being that ever lived per second. You see? So even the minimal, minimum is beyond belief. So don't think, you know, you know, it's not like a consolation prize, you know. You know, you know he's getting the, the great, he's getting the, uh, you know, the, the Lexus. The other guy's getting the uh, 1920, 1984 uh, Volvo or something like that. No, no, it doesn't work that way, you see. Ah, uh, Oil is beyond comprehension for every second. But even in that, there are gradations. That's all, you see. So that's an important thing to keep in mind. When you say light, you, that's the attachment you have atta- to God. To God, correct, to yeah. God. Yeah. Now, with the light, Moshe had light coming from him. You couldn't even look at him. He had to wear a veil. Correct. So you yeah. got 100 watts. You got the minimum. <coughs> You're not going to go near the Chafis Chayim. You couldn't take it, right? It would seem so, <clears throat> yeah. It would seem that you probably cannot go. Uh, I mean, it, 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 look, if you can experience what he's getting, you know, if it, in other words, if it affects you, then maybe you can't. You know, they used to say that. There was some Sadiqim said that, uh, to, you know, well, I mean, there was once, uh, um, I'm not sure who it was, but there was a, a Tzaddik um, who said, go and see, he was in Bnei Brak, this Tzaddik. I'm not sure who it was. So there was another tzaddik who lived in Yushalayim. He was a tremendous person. So he says, I advise people to go now and visit this guy. Because in Oinam Habo, you will never see this guy. He's just way up there. He's in the penthouse. In the penthouse, right. He's in, what is it called? Mar-a-Lago? <laughs> Trump's Palace? Whatever that guy has, right? You know? That's how, you know. So it, it would seem that um, uh, you you may not be able to meet or experience people because they're just too far, you know. <clears throat> but it is possible, you should know. Um, you'd be surprised where you can wind up, you know. Uh, w- for instance, one of the things is, uh, I, I th- I, if I recall correctly, you know, there are people who have come back I mean, they had an accident, and then they came back to some a relative, or maybe their spouse, you know? And the spouse asked them, where are you now, you know? So there are people who said that, I'm in the Heichel of Rashi. And can you believe that? Why? Because I learned Rashi every single week. So the reward of that is I'm in his chamber. Now, that doesn't mean you're experiencing everything he is, but just to be in his chamber is incredible, you see? And then people will say, uh, same thing with the Chavetz Chaim, you know? There are people who are incredibly active, spreading Shmir Salashen, the laws of Lashen Hara, and so on, who are in the Heichel of the Chavetz Chaim. That's an incredible place to be, 
you know. So just to be in his chamber, obviously, uh, and you could do that by studying a specific author's work. Maybe that'll get you in, and so on, you know. <clears throat> yeah, but even if you get the minimum, at least you could see all your friends. Didn't you tell me one time that, that it's, it's really an internal experience? Yeah, so it probably is. Otherwise you wouldn't have an Olam Haba. You would see, like, I could have been... Yeah, you, you know, have gifts. Yeah. Now you know all your lifetimes, and you said, I could have been there. Yeah, yeah. And, now, that and that's, well, that's Gehenim. Remember what I said? Gehenim is fundamentally... It has to be taken care of somehow. And it's yeah, well, you can't... Either, either it doesn't bother you. Right. God took away that feeling that it bothers you. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, or you just don't experience what the other guy is going through. You don't know, really, you know. But obviously it can't be that. Or else how, how could you get Oilo Haba? It's a Gehenna. It's an eternal Gehenna. You know, that, that doesn't make any sense, you know. Uh, but like I said, you know, uh, there is a limit. There is a threshold to get into Oilo Haba. And number one, and number two, there each person varies of their Oilam Haba. You see, I always uh, say that one of the best, uh, best things to do is you can do mitzvahs by yourself, but grab a mitzvah where you have others doing mitzvahs too. That's a tremendous merit, where you have other people doing mitzvahs. You know, if you influence people to do mitzvahs, then you collect from everybody else. Those type of mitzvahs are the greatest payment you can get. So that's a very important concept and so on, you know. In any case, <clears throat> uh, so this is anyway the concept of a limited oilam haba, you see. <clears throat> so what we begin to see is that it's a very complicated affair. The judgment itself is very complicated and it's filled with many, many different variations and many, many different factors and so on, you know. Like I said, you know, a person can have good deeds and <coughs> the appropriate place is not Oilam Haba. So he gets it here. So like I said, it will diminish his Oilam Haba. There are certain deeds like that, you know. And especially if the person has a tremendous amount of avarice, sins. So he may not deserve an Oilam Haba. Like I mentioned once, you know. The guy's got, you know, 51% good and he's got 49% bad, you see? So that's a lot of bad stuff, even if the majority is good. So what the Rebbe may do is give him some of the good here, and it diminishes his place in Oilam Habo, because he doesn't deserve that type of Oilam Habo. So therefore, he basically winds up in an inferior status. This is, as I mentioned, is also happens. Um, uh, it, uh, it could happen uh, to people also, you see. You're talking about fear of punishment. What does it mean, like, uh, do the mitzvah for heaven's sake? <coughs> fear of punishment. Well, what the, the, the concept of lishma, to do a mitzvah for its sake and not for any other ulterior motive. Yeah. If you do a mitzvah, what should be your intent, really, when you do a mitzvah? What is the greatest God's intent? Well, you've you got no choice, you've got to do as well. Well, it's, well, that's one level where you have no choice. 
but you don't want to do it because you have no choice. Because that indicates you don't really want to do it at all. In a certain sense, you're being intimidated, threatened to do it. That's not a very great motive and so on. The greatest thing is where you do a mitzvah purely because it's God's will and you want to do it to fulfill God's will. You don't want to do it because, you know, he's going to... Exactly. That's right. You want to do it because God, His Majesty is so great that you are, uh, you want to do it for that reason. <clears throat> Correct. Oh, these are levels. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, fear of God. I once gave a whole sheer about what is the fear of God and what is the love of God. But fear of God, there are different fears. Uh, yira. There's Yira Sachet, or Yira Sa'inish, I should say, is the fear that you'll be punished if you don't go God's will. So that's a motive. It's not a very high motive, but it's a, it's a motive. You know, a second fear isn't called fear. You're so in awe of God, right, that you want to do the mitzvah because it's just, just incredible. The being of God is so awesome. You see, the majesty of God is so awesome that you want to do the mitzvah because you are in awe of God, you know. But the, in many ways, the greatest idea of fear is you want to do his mitzvah, okay, because you're afraid that if you don't do the mitzvah, you will cause pain to God. In other words, you love God so much that you're afraid of sinning. Why? Because you don't want to pain God. That's a very high level. Um, if you think about Moshe Rabbeinu, I don't know if you realize that, but the Rabbanisham argued with him for seven days. That encounter at the burning bush was a long encounter. You know, the Torah is like one parak and that's it, you know. The encounter lasted seven days. Uh, that means he argued with God for seven days. It's astounding to argue with God. You know, we're not talking here about arguing with your boss. You know, we're talking about arguing with a being of which is incomprehensible. He did for seven days. <clears throat> so the question is, how do we understand that? Is it just humility? Who am I? Which he said, Who am I that I should take a task that I'm worthy to be the Redeemer? He was the Mashiach. Was that it? <clears throat> you know, was, his, was it the humility that Moshe Rabbeinu had? And is that the cause of his resistance, right, to assume the responsibility of taking the Jews out. Some people would learn that. That was the humility. Um, because there's something here that doesn't add up. How can you argue with God for seven days? Like, how do you even do that? You know what I'm saying? Well, whatever Moshe Rabbeinu was experiencing must have been incredibly intense. Think about that. Uh, but what I, what I see is that what Moshe Rabbeinu's problem was this. This is why I learned it. Because you need to find some type of an answer that satisfies. Why would somebody argue with God for seven days? You know what I'm saying? I mean, you could say, who am I, right, that you give me this mission? What do you mean, who are you? Obviously, God is choosing you, so God thinks you're appropriate. So what are you talking about? Who am I? You know what I mean? You know, you're right. You're nobody. 
But God is choosing you. So he of all beings, of anybody, knows who you are. And clearly, if he's asking you to do it, you're the right guy. It's like, so what's the problem here? You know what I'm saying? So I don't really buy the reason in terms of humility. I think it's because it's very hard to be a messenger of God. Why? Because could you imagine while you're doing this mission, you had the wrong thought? Well, maybe I'll make some money out of this. You know, you know what I'm saying? <clears throat> you know, like this, I can, the Egyptians would be so frightened to pay me cash, you know, the old bribe, you know, not to bring the Marcus, the plagues. Yeah, exactly. You know, I mean, who knows? Maybe you can charge the Jews for a head tax to leave. You know, you pay me, I get you out. You know, when they bring the Mexicans into the United States, they take a fortune, you know, and then they leave them out in the desert to die. No, I'm joking around, but, you know, but I believe the reason for that, why would anybody want to be a messenger of God? It's frightening. Because God knows everything you're thinking about. Yeah, that means that if you have the wrong thought, if you say the wrong thing to God, I mean, how, is it, how easy is it to slip up? You know, when you talk to your friend, you can slip up and insult him, offend him, right? How much more to God that you're talking about this type of being that you think the wrong thought, even if it's a nanosecond, or you offend them by the wrong speech. You see, uh, that comes from the fact that Moshe Rabbeinu loved God so much that he did not want a job because he felt it's impossible not to offend God in some way. Either in thought, in action, or in, in deed, or in uh, what he called the uh, statement. Speech. Speech. It's impossible. You know, you talk to your friend, you can, you can offend him. It's impossible for a human not to offend somebody, especially when you've taken on a mission, right, to redeem the Jews. What a mission, you know. And Moshe Rabbeinu is always talking to God. In fact, Moshe Rabbeinu did offend God. You know, he said, what did you send me for? Remember when Pharaoh said they're lazy, and therefore they got to now go collect straw throughout the land, which means they never sleep. So Moshe Rabbeinu came running back to God and says, you know, what happened? What did you do this for? And what are you sending me for if you don't want to take them out? He got punished. What God said, you will see, now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh, but not when I, you, in, in Eretz Israel, because you ain't going into Eretz Israel. You see? So he did offend God. He was right, Moshe. Uh, but somebody who loves God to such an extent would be tremendously frightened to take on a mission that God wants him to take on. Because you've got to offend God in something. It's impossible. And if you love a being so much, you know what I'm saying? Then you don't want to take it on because you, you love them and you don't want to be in any type of pain or offend them, or insult them in any way. To me, that makes sense why Moshe Rabbeinu was so adamantly opposed to being the Mashiach. Because he felt that in no way can he go through this type of mission for 40 years without offending God. So Moshe Rabbeinu was willing to give it up. I don't want it. It's not worth the pain that I'm going to cause you because of something I did wrong. To me, that makes sense, and it explains why Moshe Rabbeinu adamantly refused for seven days. 
Could you imagine arguing with God for seven days? Like, you know? I mean, you know, people argue with their wives for seven days. 70 years. 70 years, yeah, maybe, right, you know? <clears throat> you know? But, you're, you know, your spouse isn't God. Well, sometimes maybe you think it's God. Why you say God is, right? Uh, but to argue with a being like the Rabbani Islam is, is beyond belief for seven days, you know? And so on. But what makes sense to me is that he loved God so much that he realized it's impossible not to offend God in some manner during all the years, you know, taking the Jews out and taking them to Eretz Israel. Because it wasn't just taking the Jews out, it was also bringing them to Eretz Israel. You know what I'm saying? It's a, you know, however long time it takes, that's a very difficult task and so on. And that's why he refused. So those are the three types of fear. Fear of punishment, fear in the sense of awe, Yerusalemus, and the last one is Yirame Avo, that you love God so much that you're afraid of offending God and therefore you do, you, you, you do, uh, you know, you do His will out of love. You know, because that's what he wants and you don't want to offend him. Uh, those are the three types of fear that would motivate you uh, to, to do the mitzvahs, you know. But in any case, what we realize is that judgment is really very, very complicated, you know, and so on. And uh, this is what transpires, you know. <clears throat> in any case, um, okay, we'll continue. It's, a, it's really a long subject in terms of the, hash, the hashgocho of the supervision that God has, the judgment over the acts of a human being, the acts of Jews and so on, you know. Uh, and we begin to see, like I said, it's very really complicated, very complicated, and so on. But in the end, what you have to believe is that God is an absolutely, not only correct judge, but fair. Because every judgment that God does is always mixed in with Compassion. There's always Rachmanus in all of his judgments. In other words, even when he finally decides to give it to you, there's always compassion with it. Either he'll give it to you over a long period of time, so you won't, it's like, like a sledgehammer, you know, and so on, or he will soften it uh, and, uh, and give it, uh, like I say, over a long time. Or he won't do it to you, he'll do it to you know, a possession of yours, you know, so it's easier for you to tolerate if it's done to a possession of yours, you know, and so on, you know. But there's always compassion mixed in with the, um, with the uh, judgment, you know. Although sometimes we see there is no compassion. It does happen when it's just come down and that's the end of it. It's called absolute justice, you know. I mean, what's happening in Northern California, you know, his house burns down and then he dies. You know, he and his wife, I mean, that, that's like what they say, Loyalenu, you know, that's a, that's a mishpat that is so severe. But we don't know the cheshbon, we don't know why it's happening, you know, uh, and so on, you know. Um, but in any case, um, generally speaking, there's always some type of rachmonis involved in the judgment. Okay. Any case, yeah. There's all different types of punishment, could be on your possessions. Could be on your body, pain, or you could play with your emotions. You can make your nuts up. Uh, well, that's body, mental. It's mental. Or you can pain somebody else that you love. You got to watch this. 
Oh, yeah, you mean damage you in such a way. Yeah. Sometimes a chesed that person dies right away. I mean, in that sense, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Do people Well, yeah, it's like, yeah. listen, you know, surgery is also chesed, but who wants surgery, right? Yeah, oh, yeah. Sure. Guy gets a third degree burn, forget it. If a guy gets a third degree, a third degree burn over... 80% of his body you know it's, it's like and never people have gotten that you know oh especially burns they're the worst things to have you know and your skin comes off and they gotta give you new skin and you wanna think about this yeah um, doing sugar is so important as you have said but we live in the hour right before Mashiach is Asya 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 is is uh, concealment. We're living in the door. Hester, yes. Hester Parnum. Yes. So, what's your question? Pers- my question is on a personal level. The mission says that everything's made to connect me. Hashem shows us what we did wrong when He punishes us, and we correct the evade our bad behavior. Yes. So, does that still apply with the Hester Parnum generation that we're in? That we can figure out according to our punishment <laughs> what we're doing wrong yeah because I, I, we're getting slammed we don't know gee what, what's going on here generally speaking you know it's not easy but generally speaking there's a meter connected meter measure for measure right, exactly. so if you look at the reverse of that then maybe that was the sin but not always many times you cannot figure it out when you know Hashem doesn't want us to figure it out I mean, no no so if he wanted to figure it out, he'd send you a telegram. So, then, so, when we suffer, so how can we rectify the, you can't. the wrong behavior? The, the way you rectify the wrong behavior is by suffering. Uh-huh. It was the, the decree was that we're not interesting because uh, what that probably means is that God gave you many, many opportunities to do tshuva. It's usually what happens, right? And you ignored all the opportunities. So finally God says, guess what? No more opportunities. Here it comes, you see? But that's part of the judgment, you know? you know? But I would imagine that God gives you opportunities where, you know, it becomes obvious to you in some way that you are sinning, but you're not correcting it. So at a certain point in time, God says, you know. So it has to, what is the rough say that's mostly applicable today in our generation, the Hest upon Well, the Hest upon him today, most of it, is why do righteous people suffer and why do evil people uh, succeed, prosper? That's the ancient question, but yes. there should be more today. The Hestaponim is right It is. The Holocaust was unbelievable, oh, Hestaponim. Okay. Well, right? You know, Jews have been dying for 2,000 years. I mean, that's beyond belief, what kind of concealment of divine presence, you know? That's called Anogus HaYichud. Anogus HaYichud is the attribute or the conduct of God to bring the redemption in a way that makes absolutely no sense to us. That's, I, I mentioned, I it, it's called a backup system, you know? And um, uh, things happen to bring the redemption, that's its purpose. But it acts in such a mysterious way that we have no comprehension of what's happening and why. 
the Holocaust is a classic example because the, the Holocaust exceeded all boundaries of, of death. You know, like I say, you know, millions of Jews died with the Romans. Yeah, but they killed them in a normal way, with the sword. The Holocaust, well, this was not normal. You know, you don't bake people in ovens. You know what I'm saying? You don't take their skin, right, and make lampshades out of it. I mean, this whole thing is ridiculous. And what are they doing? Are they crazy? You know, you want to kill people, there are ways to kill them. But this, you take their fat to make soap, you know, you take their skin to make lampshades, right? And, uh, and, the, and, and, the, and the torture, the torture is incomprehensible. They didn't just die, they died like vermin. You have to understand the, the, what the Nazis in Machshemam Vizikram did is beyond human comprehension. The civilized humans don't act that way. And what they did wasn't human. You know, it, it's, you know, um, um, it was with incredible contempt for the Jew. They looked at the Jew like he was a cockroach. You see? And as a cockroach, you know, even as a cockroach, you just, you stamp on him and that's it, you know? These guys didn't do that. They took incredible pleasure killing you in the most vicious, vile way possible. You know, that talks about a, a rage, a hatred of the Jew, you know, that, that it, it, it's very hard to tap into the rage that Nazis had against the Jews. It was a rage, an anger, uh, incredible, livid, uh, with rage and so on, you know. So when they killed the Jew, it was with incredible degradation and bestiality. I mean, it's beyond belief, you know. I mean, where these guys are now, you know, you know fortunately, God knows how to compensate people for evil. He knows how to do it, you know. But where these guys are now, we cannot even imagine the suffering that Hitler Shemoy. We cannot imagine his suffering. It is beyond comprehension what that guy is going through now. You know? Um, uh, because, and because, of course, that's what he deserved. All those Nazis guys, the SS, all these guys, their suffering is beyond comprehension. You see? Their suffering equals the torture that they put. Uh, look, we see that from Egypt. You know, God, you know, the Egyptians when they were drowning in the sea, right? God wasn't just going to drown them and finish. Oh, no. What he did, it says, He took the Egyptians and he, it's like, you know, you bake, you know, you, you like that. You know, you turn them over and over. And every time they go, they, 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 the pain must be, you know. These guys were mushed in the water, you know, with unbelievable pain, you know, and that's what they deserved. Because what they did for the Jews was incredible, you see. But um, what these guys did was much worse than the Egyptians. You know, Egyptians, you know, they made you slaves with tremendous amount of pain, but they basically didn't kill you. <coughs> you know, Nazis killed you in the most despicable, a torturous way, you know. Only a God can destroy these people in the right way. Only God can make these people suffer in the way that isn't some type of equality in terms of what they did. You see, 
And that's exactly what's happening now. You see? They're, they're all getting their, what's called, they're all getting their comeuppance, as they say, you know? And the, but the people do not realize all these anti-Semites, they have no idea they'll be destroyed. You know, and each one will be destroyed exactly in the measure that they deserve. You know, I mean, you see that it's funny in the parshas of the, the haftorah of Nitzavim, which was the part the haftorah of the week of the World Trade Center, where God says all of a sudden uh, it's uh, it should be uh, I think it's Yeshayo, you know, where he sees God coming all dressed in red. You see what what a vivid uh, portrayal. God's coming, it's a nevuah, it's a prophecy, and God is coming, he's all dressed in red, you know? So I think it's Yeshaya. All of a sudden he's frightened because he thinks maybe it's, the, it's time for the Jews to suffer. So God says, no, no, no. The reason why I'm red, I mean, the, the, uh, the metaphor, is because I'm going to wipe out Edom, you see? And what I just did is, I st- it's like, you ever see these grapes when you squash grapes? to make the wine, you know. So God says, I just, uh, it's like, uh, I, I just squashed Edom, like the winemaker squashing the grapes. You know what I'm saying? And all that red grape stuff spurted sp- uh, sp- uh, on my garments. You know, I mean, th- that's what God says. I mean, we say, wait, 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 wait. You know, uh, what would a liberal say to this? <laughs> hey, come on, you gotta forgive him, you know? I mean, liberalism is such a tragic way of thinking, you know. You know, a liberal has to look at the Torah when God says, you know, and you will wipe out evil, you know, and I'm going to crush you. Just the language that God uses, you know. Liberals must go crazy when they read this stuff because according to them, what are you doing? You got to forgive sin, you know. What do you mean forgive sin? What do you mean? There's no such thing forgive sin. Or else the whole world would be a hefkevel. The whole place would be, a, you know, just like, it's chaos. No, no, no. Everything is an exact measure. And God, which is what you think about, God does not mince words. And he's not afraid at all. And he tells you like it is, you know. You do this kind of stuff, I'm going to blow your brains out. You know, where's the liberalism? You know, where's the humanity? Well, that's the humanity. I'm going to blow your brains out. You know what I'm saying? Oh, I'm going to crush you, you know, until your bones are embedded in the, in, in the crucible. You know what I'm saying? This is God's imagery. Because God is an exacting individual. He's filled with compassion. But when the judgment comes down and says, hey, this is it, get out of the way. Because God's coming after you. As God says in Ha'azinu, you know, uh, I give life, I kill, animemus. You know, you know, people are afraid to use the word kill, you know, but God says, animemus, you know, I kill, and I give life, and from my hand there's no rescuer. It's too bad, it's over with, because there's nobody can rescue, you see, and that's what devotion is going to do to all these anti Semites, all these people that have, uh, that have, uh, made Jews suffer for thousands of years. Every one of them is wiped out utterly. And this is the what they don't realize and so on, you know? The Haftorah de Shabbos was Obadiah. Obadiah. Which talks about what yeah. Edom gets there. Yeah, that's right, yeah. And very harsh terms. Very, yes. Yeah. 
So, yeah. Yeah. So that's why, you know, you look at these people and say, well, are they crazy? Don't they understand what's going to happen to them? Don't, didn't they read the Bible? I'm sure they took Bible in, in the Christian classes. You know what I'm saying? Don't they read it? Do they think it's, you know, it's not true or it's an exaggeration? Are they crazy? You know, it's suicidal people. That's what they are. You know, I gave the example last week of the, of the tiger and the cubs. Remember that? Yeah, that's what you're playing around with. You're playing around with the tiger's cubs. You know, you're about to take them and steal them and all that. And all of a sudden you turn around and there she is, Mama Tiger, looking at you from five feet away. I mean, you're dinner. You are dinner. Maybe with or without spices. But you are dinner. That's what these guys, you know. So the tiger's just looking at the guy while this guy's doing it, you know. That's the reverse. He's looking at these people, playing around with their tiger cubs. Is there any envy in Oh, how bored some guys getting so no, much. no. Getting a minimum. No, no. There may be a realization, but there's no envy, or else you'd, it would be Gehenim yeah. for eternity. I, I, you know, you'd be, you'd be burning up. No, there's nothing like that. You know. Oilam Habu is a place of pure, unadulterated, unmitigated pleasure. Remember, Newton's third law. There's an equal and opposite reaction. That's called din. Every Newton's laws reflect ju uh, the heavenly, uh, what do you call it, uh, uh, um, uh, um, phenomenon. Phenomena. Yeah. Newton's law is a statement in physical terms of justice. For every action, there's an equal, meter connected meter, an opposite suffering reaction. That's law. And Newton's... But it's equal and opposite. That's the important thing. It's not, well, I do A with a value of 20, and then what happens is a value of 6. No. It's equal and exactly the opposite. It's absolute justice. That's Newton's third law. You see? You know? Uh, and... Um, um, that's the manifestation of his third law, you know, and that's what justice is. Now God can stop it or delay it, but He will never overlook it. You see, don't don't mistake God. God can delay, and so on. You know, He does a lot of things to help people, but He will never mavater, overlook, and just although He could, because then that would produce bread of shame if He does that. And God is trying to avoid bread of shame as much as much as He can. Uh, so whatever what, everybody, uh, you know, each person has his own file cabinet for every deed, in thought, speech, or act that he ever did, and all everything has a value attached. And that value ultimately is what God will react in the future world. You will get the exact value of everything you did, you know. And then that's fair. Nobody can have any complaints and say, hey, why is he getting, you know, that and I'm, not, I'm, I'm getting this, you know. And God says, hey, he worked this way. You didn't do a thing. You know, what do you want? You want his reward? Uh, you know, and, and, and so on, you know. Um, the, the question that, it was an interesting question, uh, is that what if a guy says to God, you know, you're right. 
I don't deserve anything. Oh, you know, and so on and so forth. And the reason why, you're not going to give me anything because if that way, I'll get bit of shame. But I'll tell you something, you know, I'll live with it. <laughs> Maybe you give me the bread, at least I'll live, I'm alive, right? Give me, the, you know, give me all the reward you want and I'll, I'll live with the bread of shame, you know? Will God allow that? That's an interesting question, you know? You know, because then the guy says, listen, I have the bread of shame and so on, you know? There's no conversations about this. Like, no one's no, asking anybody's opinion. Like, well, you, wait, wait, in, in what? There's no conversation. He doesn't, nobody gets to tell their bunch, let's make a deal. Right? <laughs> no, 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 that's not true. No, not, it's not making a deal. Well, you, but you, you do... Say, you know, if we want to change your system, Lord, right? He can, he can present the argument, right? Where? And by, by the, the heavenly court. You have a, ma you have a malach. No, no, you, you, no, 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 it's fair. You can say whatever you want. The problem is that, you know, it's all bad. They have all the evidence. I mean, you can't say anything that's a lie because instantly they know exactly if you're lying or not. That's the problem. You can't make up. You could say whatever you want. You know, everybody, what's called due process? Mm -hmm. You know? Just ask Kavanaugh about that, right? It's all due process, you know? You have a right to, you, you can present your argument, that's it, you know. <clears throat> See where it goes. <clears throat> you know. I mean, it's interesting to think about because remember, in the end, God loves mankind. He loves Jews, but he really loves his, 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 his creations. He made them. Uh, so uh, what happens if a guy says, listen, I was a bad guy. You're right, I was bad, you know. But I want to tell you something, you know. Hey, you're my father. You call yourself my father. And God is not just the father of the Jews, really. He's the father of everybody, you know. So come on, if I ask my dad, give me a break. Will you do it? You can pull that kind of argument. Because the Bansham does call himself mankind's father. You're my creator, you're my father. Or you have infinite mercy. Maybe I can borrow some of that infinite mercy and, like, you know, extend it to my situation. What's the bunch I'm going to say? It's interesting, you know? Yeah, but he could say, look at all the breaks in your life I did give you. Remember this He one will say that. No, 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 but no, no, you understand. No, no. The, but the guy's admitting. The guy's saying, you know, you're right. I don't deserve Oilam Habo. Based on actions, it's over with. But what happens if he appeals to God's sense of mercy, kindness, of chesed, right? Or the fact that God calls, him, calls himself Ovino, I mean, father. You know what I'm saying? Because you're appealing to something beyond justice. You're saying, you know, listen, you're right, you have your rules, but maybe you can overlook it and allow me Namadik Sufa, you know, and I'll live with it, you know, for the rest of my life, which is eternity, you know? It would be interesting to see what God says. Is the bread of shame that bad? Apparently it is. Because we all wound up here because of it. We're all in this world because of the bread of shame. You know, that's why we're here. And that's why your life looks the way it does. Because you need to correct the bread of shame. So you can have a positive, uh, you know, pleasurable experience without the bread of, bread of shame. That's the whole point, you know. The question is, is there room for a deviation or an exception to the bread of shame. Why do I say that? Because the Ramchal says 
that Malochim experienced Namadik Sufa. Angels, they have Namadik Sufa because they, they're privy to God's presence, right? They're feeling it. They're, they're in His presence. But wait a minute. They didn't do anything to earn this. Yeah, but they're staff. Staff, as they yeah, say... They're privileges. Well, yeah, they're, but, yeah, but it's still Namadik Sufa. You're right, it's staff. But so what? They're getting the great... So a guy can say, listen, so make me an angel. Even though I'm not, I'm not an angel, but let me be part of your staff. You know, what I'm trying to show is that the concept of strict tikkun without namnik sufa already has been violated. So not, we're, no longer, we're, no, we're no longer looking at a purest uh, creation. It's been violated, you know. So maybe you put me into the deal. Every child you know? comes from his parents. Every, and, he, and he feels like he has a coming. No bread is shame. Your parents provide everything. Food, clothes, this, that. No, that's... A child, well, I got a coming. Now, well, you, now you're talking about Namdik Sufi, yeah. But a child is a child. And a child knows that you gave birth to me, so do me a favor. Uh, you got to take care of me. I mean, you have an obligation. It's the family unit. Yeah. Hey, you, you gave birth to me. You know, do me a favor. You got to raise me too, you know. It's when the guy becomes an adult... <laughs> You see, angels are adults. There's no such thing as a baby angel. Even though every mother thinks her baby is an angel. Uh, you know what I'm saying? There's no such thing as a baby angel, you know? I'm just saying, so the Ramchal says that Malochim in Adam Amorim have Namadik Sufa. Because they didn't earn, they're experiencing incredible joy, right? Ecstasy. They didn't do anything for this. So if they can tolerate, you know, a guy can say, hey, I'm no angel, you know, but make me an angel it should be interesting I, 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 don't, I don't know if anybody talks about this I'm just mentioning it as fascinating ideas does the Bershom overlook anybody uh, you know you have to remember one thing the Bershom is in see mankind has something going for it you don't realize that you know I wouldn't say God has a weakness because it's not true you know the Bonsham has no weakness. The Bonsham has a will. Rotson. That's how he goes. So you have to appeal to his Rotson. You're my father. You have infinite mercy. And you, the last thing you want to see is me is to be obliterated. I mean, you're not comfortable with that. You know what I'm saying? So do me a favor, you know? Make me a Malach. Or something like that. You see? Interesting Nobody thought. Uh-uh. Well, that's part of the problem. If a guy realized... Always in the back of his mind, he always rely on that. You're right. Yeah, you're right. That's really true. That's a good... That would be a great argument to escape this type of uh, punishment. You're right in that sense, you know. Um, you know. God calls us His children, but all the guy knows is His creations. Maisi Yodai, he calls them Maisi Yodai. Maisi Yodai means the, the actions of my hand. means these are my creations. In other words, I gave existence to these guys. You know? But clearly, the fact that he was killing the Egyptians did disturb him. Because he told the angels, stop, stop singing. Clearly you see that there was something that God did not like about what he was doing. You know what I'm saying? So maybe on you can you can appeal to that. You know, 
Look, we don't really know. It's unknown. But it, it would be an interesting idea, you know, uh, in, in terms of, and, and so, you know. I mean, God could say to a guy, remember, don't make this mistake. This guy's going to pay for his sins. We're not talking about getting a free deal where you don't even pay for your sins. You see, that's unfair. Hey, you were terrible. You want to get scot-free from this? No. So the guy says, okay, give me Gehenim. Let me work off all the bad, right? But after the bad, don't annihilate <clears throat> me. See, that's a different argument. Don't annihilate me. You see what I'm saying? Because you're my father, I'm your creation, you know, and you have infinite chesed, Rachmanus. So the argument is not to remove Gehenna, it's to remove Ibud or annihilation. So maybe that's a softer sell. You hear what? It's different. He never said annihilate me. No, he didn't say that. Wipe me out of my book. That means annihilate me. No, it means just. Wipe me out of your book. Which means forget my mission. Just uh, forget my mission. That doesn't mean oh. I'll come back as somebody else, a regular guy. Oh, No, no. Why would he bother me annihilated? For what? Because he was trying to defend the Jews. No, yeah, so, so, you know, get me out of my mission. That's all. Put me somewhere else, you know. Make me the CEO of, uh, of uh, you know, of uh, Amazon. Yeah. No, nobody wants to get annihilated. What's the sense in that? So that's interesting, you know, that you don't, it's an argument to preserve your existence. It's not an argument, right, to remove Gehenna. No, that, that cannot be an argument. Does this argument actually work? It appears not. It, 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 it appears not, but I really wonder. I'll ask him for because like I said <laughs> no you don't want to ask God because you don't want a meeting with him because the meeting with him implies it's over for you you know you got time you'll meet him someday you got time for that right don't rush into those meetings you know it's like uh, you know it's like God's you know God says you're complaining all the time you know obviously I got to answer your complaint guess what you're coming up right you don't want that you know, but I want to tell you something, but there apparently is that type of uh, tendency, because God does feel, if you want to use that word, for his creations. He loves the Jewish people, but really in the end, he does love mankind. It's his works. And God does not want to destroy anybody. So in a certain sense, that makes him vulnerable, because in that sense, because he does love, you know. But this whole parak is is in the opposite direction. You you're right. It both ways. No, no, no. Uh, exactly. No, no. This is to get it's all Ilham theoretical. Ha- with no, no. Source. No. The, the source says the opposite. No, no. Why? Because this whole parak is about Oilam Habo without Namdik Sufa. I'm not talking about this Oilam Habo without Namdik Sufa. You know, mm-hmm. I'm talking about Ulam Habo with Namadik Sufa, <coughs> like Malochim. You see? That's a different area. Now, what's the difference between Namadik Sufa, right, Ulam Habo with or without? We don't know. But clearly it was sufficient where God said, you need to correct this bread of shame business, right? But the question is, is there an Ulam Habo with Namadik Sufa? Because that principle has already been demonstrated 
based on Malachim. That's all. And it's not to remove Gehenna, remember. It's to get you not annihilated. It's different, it's, it's, you know. So I don't know if there is such a, uh, what do you call it, a judicial it's argument. A yeah, it's a different peric. Maybe the Ramchal wrote about it somewhere else, but not here, that's for sure. Right? Yeah. They actually changed the or? Yeah. Yeah. They, they assumed. Lost, so they lost the Lamawa essentially? No, 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 no. They assumed angelic presence. Oil Muhammad doesn't exist now. I understand that. So, so the, what's the, the status? An upgrade. upgrade. Is it an upgrade? Yeah. Um, Probably is an upgrade, yeah. They became a Lachum, which means. Um, They're more Rukhum? Yeah. They, they enjoy God on a much greater level. That's what a Malach does. But we don't, but you know. So that's not that bound like a sukkah as opposed to other malachim. What? As opposed to other malachim, they don't have none like a sukkah. No, they don't because they lived they here. They worked it off, exactly. So you have malachim with namlik sufa, malachim without namlik sufa. You see, we have people without namlik sufa. The question is, can you have people with namlik sufa? You know, it would be interesting. The that uh, you're describing by malachim. It's not addressing the fact that uh, uh, malachim don't get oil and harbor. They they only get uh, they only get constant presence with the Kaddish Baruch But that, that could be a different gallery totally. It is. It's not, it, you're right. Oil and harbor is a different type of situation mm-hmm. than where the malachim are. But the malachim are experiencing Namadik Sufa, which means they are getting something which is beyond our uh, understanding. Yeah, but it's like a free ice cream cone. You know, the guy, they get the, you know... The, the well, a free ice cream cone... brother has ice cream yeah, trucks. Person, they get all the free ice cream cones. A person who's dead in Ebert would take that over Ebert. Of course. What's Unless, the only thing is, if Nazism is that bad, then, then... Yeah, but they have a deficiency. They He'd rather have to the get ice cream the cone than instead of human beings. You don't get the name right. terms. Right. They wanted the Torah given to yeah. them. Well, that's, that's the, the unwritten parak. Yeah, it's yeah. the unwritten parak. Well, you know. Yeah. Yeah. It's an interesting question. It's an interesting question. It can't be torture because they experience it. They, they, they can't see, got no eyes or And they, there's no ticket for them. Unless that contributes to their, to their, there's no to the lack of all, their lack of the hero. Is this contributes to it? <coughs> not only do they have the presence of God, but they understand that, that that if I don't do this mission, then I'm done. Then he's done. Yeah. So they also feel just so the Namaksuba that they feel drives them to just fill that gap all the time. It's kind of a, there must be meaning a they are driven by the Namaksuba. Who are you talking about? The Malachim. I don't know what you mean by they're, they're driven. driven. What's not only too far? I didn't earn my existence. Yeah. So they're driven. I'm a recipient <coughs> without so driven to any merit. Discrepancy. You know what? Try to, to as much as possible fill that gap. But they Solve can't. There's, there is. There's no ticking for they them. They did try. They, they wanted the Torah, right? What? They argued. Give us the Torah. Give us the Torah. Yeah. Yeah. You have so there must be some kind of land that they wanted to complete to get the Torah. It's either that, it's either that, but they would not have gotten rid of the Namlik Sufa, even if they got the Torah. Why? Because there's no Yetzirah. There's no, 
I mean, in other words, you, there are two things required here. One is you have to have free will. The second thing, you have to have options to choose. There's no option to sin by a malach. So there's no reward. Even if they had free will. You need two things for Namadik Sufa. One, you have to have free will. And two, you have to have options. One of them being the ability to sin. You don't have that, you don't have anything. No options. You know what I'm saying? It's like Russia, you know? There were elections, there's only one candidate. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So he's all free, 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 it's free will, you can do whatever you want. Which obviously then means you don't have to come and vote. But there's always one guy that's going to vote, and he won by, a, by a one, one vote. You know? You know, and you know the guy who voted for him, right? was himself. <laughs> it's called a self-fulfilling prophecy. You know what I'm saying? So, you know. But uh, that's why Amalek can't do anything. Because he has no options. Even, so even if they got the Torah, because they asked, you know, to Moshe Rabbeinu, well, let us give his Torah. But it was never to give them a way of getting rid of the Namdik Sufa, because they can't earn it, like I say, because there's no options. They just wanted to fulfill the, word of, the will of God at a higher level of, of greatness. That's what you have to say by a Malach, you know? Okay. I'm glad everybody's so really involved at this late hour, you know? But it's good, you know? I'm very glad, you know? But it's interesting to think about, to juggle all these types of concepts. Because who thinks about, you know, uh, you know, about these ideas? But they're living ideas. You know, we're, we're talking about the plan of creation. It's the greatest thing to think about. My, God's mind is the greatest thing to, find, to try to figure out. What is in God's mind? You know, everybody's trying to figure that out. You know what I'm saying? Usually for their benefit. You know what I'm saying? We're trying to figure out because it's a fascinating subject. The, the subject is the mind of God. What's in it? What's he thinking about? You know what I'm saying? You know. The Rebbe Yosef is going to illuminate. Yeah. Uh, so why does he have to die? Who? That's, that's a whole different story. Does he have to die? No, that's that's that's. He survives. He survives. Yeah. So the so God changed it. Uh, and the, there's uh, many Ramazim of why he of the fact that he changed it. What he does is he brings Mashiach Ben Yosef back through incarnations, Gilgulim, and he makes him suffer in each incarnation. So you, if you added up all the suffering. It would have killed them in one, in one lifetime. But since God spreads out, so that is what's called a death equivalency. So the Mashiach ben Yosef survives. And the remez for that, the Goin says, in fact, it's in this week's Pasha. No, not this week's. In uh, Vayigash, where when uh, Sarabas Osha said to Yaakov Avinu, Oid Yosef, no, Yaakov Avinu said, Oid Yosef Chai. Oyed, Yosef still lives. That was the remez that he survived. Everybody thought he was dead in Egypt. Nope, he's still around. So that remez is a remez that Mashiach ben Yosef also will survive. Gro, that's the gro, yeah. So it was, it was saved, you know.